building a household of faith. That is uh, the theme for our fall morning sermon series. And by household of faith, um, we're talking about the church. Uh, There are many what we call images of the church in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, pictures of the church, names, words used to describe the church. And, and one of the big ones in Scripture is household or family. So we're going to be thinking uh, for the upcoming weeks a bit about the church, uh, the household of faith, God's house, uh, big picture in God's house here. Um, three of the books in uh, the New Testament uh, were written specifically to pastors, First and Second Timothy to Pastor Timothy, and then Titus also to a pastor. Uh, so our plan is we're going to start with Second Timothy and then very possibly also do Titus, read two of these pastoral epistles, pastoral letters to see what we can learn about the church. So that's the plan. I'm excited uh, to get started in that uh, together this morning. Uh, we're going to start at the beginning of, of 2 Timothy. It's uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 7. And it, this is a new book. I'm not going to right away give you all kinds of background information on the book. Uh, that might come up naturally in the messages as we go forward. And you can gladly read a little bit about that on your own um, not during the sermon, but maybe this week or something. So 2 Timothy, uh, beginning, 2 Timothy 1, uh, beginning at verse 1. Here's God's holy and infallible word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace Mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did uh, with a clear conscience. As night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice And I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. That's God's holy word for us this morning. Uh, This sermon is called Covenant essentials. And there will be four covenant essentials. And the first is this, covenant priority. Covenant priority. And by this I mean that the covenant is an absolute priority for our lives as as God's people. And we hear that word sometimes, but my question to you is what does it mean? It came up Uh, earlier when we talked about the meaning of baptism, and often at baptisms that word comes up. If you've been raised in the church, you've probably heard it many, many times. Covenant. The covenant. 
Well, what's your definition? How would you define it? What are we talking about? We, we talk about marriage as a covenant, the covenant of marriage, and, and that's appropriate, and that, that can help us understand the word a little bit. I have to tell you a little something about uh, the marriage covenant uh, this morning. Uh, one of the signs of a marriage covenant is a ring. And, and sadly, uh, uh, this is the second Sunday now in a row that I am without my wedding ring. And uh, it's, not, it's not coming back. But this is why, you know, you hear about people losing uh, their wedding rings. And I thought, those careless people, how could you ever lose your wedding ring? I would never do that. Well, I became one of those people, you know, and that's, that's the sign of that covenant. It's kind of important. On, on the Sunday of Labor Day weekend, uh, as a family, we made a quick uh, kind of last-minute trip to my parents' house in, in Allegan. Uh, it was short, but it was worth it. We went because there was a bit of a family reunion. Over 50 cousins and uncles and aunts on my mom's side of the family, we kind of learned how many people were going to be there, and we're like, we should just go. Uh, my 92-year-old grandpa Post was there, as well as his little brother Pete, who's 91, and he's from the Netherlands. And it was a great time. I got to use uh, my Dutch, which I learned as a kid living in the Netherlands when my family moved us there, my dad studied there. Um, and my parents live on a small lake. It was, a, if you remember, it was a beautiful day, a beautiful weekend. Well, the next day, uh, it was just Sarah and me and our girls, and we were hanging out for a while, enjoying the nice weather before heading back to Chicago. Everybody was in the water. People were, you know, jumping off the, the raft, the, one of those floating rafts, I think, you call them away from our dock a little bit. And Sarah was like grading the girls, uh, you know, like you do sort of in the Olympics and all that. And then I went up there and I thought of Michael Phelps. And I thought of what I saw in the Olympics. So I'm like, I'm a dad. I got to try to do, try to get a little bit of a laughter out of my kids. So I went like this. And then, you know what he does, right? Like that like preparing. It was a little easier to do uh, without my suit on. Just my bathing suit was better. Um, And suddenly, the ring was gone. Gone. And it was, it has been a little loose uh, the last couple of years, but not that loose. It doesn't seem like it should have happened, but 30 feet of water out there I, I went straight down feet first just to see if I could touch bottom. I mean, not even close. And my head, and we were like, is there any way? I felt so sick. I hope Sophia doesn't mind I do this, but she could tell something serious had happened because I felt so bad. And she's like, you know, Dad, what does it mean? What does this mean? And, and though I may have joked that I felt freer than I had in years... <laughs> The reality was, the reality was, nothing, nothing changed at all between mom and dad with the loss of that ring. Nothing in our relationship changed. We are still just as married as ever. It can't just be broken because you lose a wedding ring. The marriage relationship, that co- because it's, it's a covenant, 
It's a relationship. It's deeper than that. The fact is, though, I'm working on replacing that ring because the sign of the covenant is important to me. I want people to know that I belong to Sarah and that she belongs to me. But because marriage is a covenant, it means it's deep, it's enduring, it's something from the heart. And that marriage covenant starts helping us understand biblical covenant. I want to give you, I think there are a lot of ways you could define covenant. I want to give you what I think is the most straightforward, sort of best, simplest uh, definition of covenant. Now, when we use the word covenant, what we're talking about is the relationship between God and his people. Covenant refers to the relationship between God and his people. And if you think about that idea, well, you know what it means. It means covenant is the most important thing in this world. Covenant is the story of the Bible. You know, we have the New Testament, the Old Testament. Testament is another word for covenant. The Bible is the story of the relationship between God and his people. In fact, covenant gets at why God created this planet in the first place. It's to have a relationship with his people. Our triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he exists eternally, as far back eternally as could possibly go. He's self-sufficient, he's perfect, but he decided in eternity that he would share himself and his glory and his love with the people. And so he created the universe, he created this world, and he created each one of us. And so covenant is the very heart of your life's purpose too. You were created to have a relationship with the Lord. And so, see, covenant is an absolute priority. Everything comes together when you get that, when you realize what you've been created for. A second covenant essential this morning is the covenant environment. Where does this happen? If covenant is a relationship, how is it built? How is it nurtured? Well, you know what? We saw it this morning around the baptismal font. We saw these families, uh, whether it's a family with a mom or a dad or both. The key is a parent who professes Jesus and wants to raise their kids in the Lord. The covenant is nurtured in homes of faith, in families of faith. We read here that Pastor Timothy, who Paul's writing to, he grew up in a believing home. We read about his mother, Eunice, his grandmother, Lois. It's interesting, isn't it? It's striking that no men are mentioned. We learn in Acts 16.1, that Eunice was a Jewish Christian, uh, so a Jewish believer probably who came to believe in Jesus, and her husband was a Gentile. And the impression we get is that he didn't come to saving faith in Jesus. And so maybe Timothy's dad was around, but you know he wasn't present in the most important way of all as a believer, nurturing Timothy in the faith. And so it was up to a believing mother and a grandmother, and God blessed that. 
Timothy came to faith. These generations and Timothy growing up in this home, it, it, it makes us think back to Deuteronomy 6, where parents are called to teach their children God's commands. It says there, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Last year, a couple of our small groups watched, and then we discussed DVDs by Rob Reno, who has a teaching series called Visionary Parenting, which has that verse at its very core. And I'd really recommend it. It casts a vision for a home of faith uh, where parents take the lead. You don't leave the nurture in the faith to other people, moms, dads. That's, that's, that's for us, primarily. We spend so much time and energy on our kids, but you know, sometimes we got to think back, uh, what, are, what, are we, what are we doing with them? How are we expending our energy in our relationship with our kids? You know, we all would love another, another Einstein, another Chris Bryant. Uh, we want our kids to become successful business people, maybe. Okay. But the priority is the covenant. More than any of it is that we're nurturing, is that you are nurturing that relationship between God and your child. And we, we forget that. We get caught up in other stuff. And it may be good stuff. But it's not the priority. It's not number one. Reading about uh, Lois here, Timothy's grandmother, it makes me think of, of Sarah's grandma who, who passed away a couple of weeks ago and what a difference she made in her family's life as a woman of faith. She saw the importance of the family as the covenant environment. And one of her great gifts to her family is that she prayed uh, for each and every one, every single day. What a gift. I mean, is there anything greater, Sarah, that she could have done for us than pray for us every day? What an inspiration. And, and what a calling for us in the next generations after her to follow in those footsteps. You know, to grow up in a Christian home is a treasure that I wonder sometimes if we appreciate it as much as we should. You know, we hear stories of people with uh, dramatic conversions who lived far from God and God turned them around and that's wonderful. We praise God for that. But if you've grown up in a Christian home, and maybe like the prophet Jeremiah, we read that he knew the Lord from his mother's womb. He heard God's word from his mother's womb. Our, our babies hear that. Um, if you've grown up in a Christian home and you've said yes to Jesus out of that covenant environment, that is such a great blessing. I'll tell you, those who didn't have what so many of us have had, I had it too, I grew up in a believing home. If you, if you don't have that, you wish you did. People who miss that wish they had that. I received my sense of call uh, very clearly and finally to become a pastor 
while being part of a, of a church plant in Southern California. That was in my college years and just after, and I was involved in leadership and volunteering and all that. Our church there uh, reached so many unchurched people. So many of them regretted, so thankful to belong to the Lord and that God saved them, and they had this great testimony, but they so regretted their lifestyle and the decisions they made in those years they didn't know the Lord. They were so excited when they heard first about the covenant and how God works in families and that he promises, I will be a God to you and to your children after you so that now their home, they could make a brand new start. They could raise their kids in the faith so they wouldn't have to make all those dumb mistakes they did for all those years. And that's one of the beautiful realities of God's grace. No matter your history or family, your own mistakes, you can make a fresh start. You can commit to the Lord. You can commit your loved ones to Him and create an environment where that covenant is nurtured. But there's another piece to the covenant environment besides the home. The Cumans and Spielmans don't do what they did and then walk off and we never see them again. We didn't as pastors go into their home to do a private baptism. We did it in the church. And the church is called God's household also in the Bible. Our homes, our families, they're part of another family, God's church. The people of God spanning all time and all history and faith CRC is part of that great family of God. We, the family of faith, we're here to equip you in your homes to give priority to that all-important relationship with the Lord. Christian families with the pressures of, of, of the culture, I think, and the pressures of finances, and Daryl was talking about this, holding little Alex, and the pressures of, of raising kids. You know what, Christian families, you don't have to slug it out alone year after year. Isn't that awesome? You've got the family of God. You've got the church. And so we've got these children's programs. We have intergenerational worship. All the generations are here. Paul says a real interesting thing in verse 2. To Timothy, my dear son. Well, Paul and Timothy weren't biologically related, but they were related they were family by faith. And so Paul is showing us that Christians are part of a larger family, the family of God. You know, we got these, this amazing boys club and girls club, cadets, gems, counselors. Those kids, they are your children in the faith. And I know you counselors, I know how a number of you, that has been your vision from day one serving that way. But just think about it. Those kids are your children in the faith. That's how we should look at them. Sunday school teachers, those are your sons and daughters in the classrooms. You know, and if you don't have little ones in, in your home, maybe uh, you did and they moved out and, and you're older, or maybe uh, you never had kids, you know, you might think, well, I don't really have those covenant responsibilities. But we do. 
We all have our role as fathers and mothers in the faith to the kids in our church. We just promised as much in our vows, right, at baptism. And whether we're married and have kids, married with no kids, single, you know what? You have a family. We are a family where there are grandparents and parents and children in the faith. The church family is the cradle for the Christian family and for all Christians. The household of faith, this is a home for your home. There's a third covenant essential, and that's the covenant activity. What is the activity of the covenant? Talked about the environment, the home, the church, but what happens in the covenant relationship? Well, what happens is God does something and we do something. On Mount Sinai, long ago, uh, God came to his people and he said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. In other words, I saved you. You are mine now. You live for me. And he gave him the Ten Commandments to show the people how. God does something. We do something. And in verse 1, Paul talks about the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. And that's God's side of the covenant. Because of what he has done in Jesus, we have the promise of life. You've got life now. Real living. Abundant life. And life forever. But our text also gives us a clue about what we do, our activity. And it's this, talking about covenant activity, and you might not buy this right away because it's not what you'd expect, but this is the key covenant activity. It doesn't seem like activity. It's we remember. It's remembering. It's interesting that we have that idea of remembering four times in our verses. It's in verse 3. Paul says, I remember you. Verse 4, recalling your tears, referencing uh, maybe a time when Paul and Timothy had to separate not long ago uh, before Paul went to prison. Verse 5, I have been reminded of your sincere faith. In verse 6, I remind you to fan the flame. And to remember sounds like inactivity, but it's actually the critical activity in the life of the believer. It's the key covenant activity for you and me. It comes up in the Psalms a lot, many other places in Scripture. Remembering is about calling to mind God's promises and his great deeds. It's telling our kids about what God has done in history. It's reading them God's word. Reading those little ones, those Bible storybooks. I got to say, we just ordered and received a really great new Bible story book this past week. It happens to have the illustrations done by our own Jim Engel. It's pretty cool, and it's a great Bible story book. You can ask him about it, maybe. I'm embarrassing him, I'm sure, but it's, it's a great... But we, we tell him about Adam and Eve and Noah and David and Daniel, all leading up to Jesus. And you tell them about what God has done in your life. And you're open about that as parents with your kids. You know, appropriately, as they get older, you talk about that as a family. The hard times and the blessings, too. And biblical remembering, we've talked about this before, it doesn't stop. And this is why 
It's an activity. It doesn't stop with thinking about the past. Biblical remembering is not reminiscing. We call to mind God's great deeds in the past, in biblical history, in our own lives, in our own families, in order to act today. Biblical remembering always propels God's people to action. Whenever God remembers his people in the Bible, you know what happens? He does something. Beginning of Exodus, his people are in slavery in Egypt. God remembered them. He remembered them. He took them out of Egypt and rescued them. And there's action at the end of our verses. Verse 6, fan into flame the gift of God. And that refers to Timothy using his gifts of ministry. The laying out of hands is what happens when when pastors become ordained. Um, But we all do this. We're all called to fan into flame. We all have particular gifts that we're called to serve our God with. And then we read in verse 7 about this spirit of power and love and self-discipline. And that love and self-discipline, it summarizes your calling as a believer. What are you called to do? You're called to love others, right? And we're called to care for our own spiritual life too and to cultivate that. And, And so the covenant activity is this dynamic between the great promises of God, standing on them, remembering them, calling them to mind, knowing them, learning them from God's word, in order to act today, in order to live for Jesus. The covenant activity of God's promises are remembering. It energizes the family of God from generation to generation. Now there's one fourth and final uh, covenant essential for us, and it's covenant power. God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power. And most everybody agrees that that spirit of power should be capital S spirit. Paul is no doubt talking about the Holy Spirit. Timidity is mentioned because we think that was a weakness in Pastor Timothy's personality. He was timid. He had a lack of confidence. And and as we think about that power for him, and we think of our own lives and our own weaknesses and our own shortcomings, and and, and we think of, of how often we haven't made our relationship with God our priority, how we've let other bad things in life get in the way and even other otherwise good things get in the way. Uh, We think of how often covenant hasn't been our our priority, that relationship with God. We think about how weak the covenant environment can be in our homes. And we think about our lack of passion for covenant activity, for the mistakes we've made, opportunities lost in loving others, and and our failures to to develop our own spiritual life. We identify uh, with, with this Timothy and his weaknesses because we've got weaknesses. We know them very well. But God has always used the weak 
He's always used the unlikely. Think of timid Timothy. You know, what a characteristic for a pastor of a church. And a key pastor in the New Testament church as the church is underway. Think of Moses in the Old Testament. He couldn't speak well, but God used him to lead the nation of Israel. Samson was a judge. Uh, We just read about him in our devotions again at home. And we were just really reminded, this guy had major lack of self-discipline. He just did whatever he wanted to, whenever he felt like it. That means God can use you too. Jesus once said to Paul, my power is made perfect in your weakness. He provides the power, not us. And it comes from the finished work of, of Jesus Christ. Jesus perfectly kept the covenant for all our failures in his life and death on the cross. He rose again. He sent his spirit to empower us in the new life he won for us. This power from the spirit is greater than all our sins and weaknesses. It's really an amazing thing that in verse 3, Paul could talk about a clean conscience. Before Paul was saved, he was a bad dude. He arrested Christians, and that no doubt resulted in their deaths. He hated the name of Jesus. And you know, he's writing this letter on death row that's going to become clear as the book goes on. He's got to face death. He's looking in the eye, and he's got that resume with all those miserable failures. But he can face death with a clean conscience. And it's because God is his God, and he is God's child. In that covenant relationship, we can have a power to even face death with assurance that it's going to be okay. Because you belong to Jesus. And the power is for us day by day too. And I think today of our our homes and our kids. It's Rob Reno, who I mentioned earlier, makes this point. One of your kids teases the other. The other one whacks them. Yeah, shocking. That happens in covenant homes. And you take... uh, Little Ella, little Logan, you tell them, say sorry, I'm sorry. Say I forgive you, I forgive you. And then what do parents, what can we be tempted to say? Try harder next time. But that's exactly what will not work. To Try harder next time. They can't do it in their own strength. And not just our kids, all of us. Instead, thankfully, we've got something that will work. The finished work of Jesus, the power of the Spirit, His strength in our continuing weakness. And so life isn't about trying harder, but it's about your relationship to the Lord and what He's done. So cultivate that relationship. Lean more on Him. Study His Word. Pray to Him. Talk with Him about your failures and your needs. He answers those prayers. And if you ask, if you knock, You seek. He gives you his spirit. He gives you his power. So friends, I think God has great news for us this morning. He has established a relationship with us in Jesus. He gives us covenant power to make that relationship 
a priority in our lives. He gives power to nurture that covenant environment in our homes and in the family of God. Even right here at faith by his power, we can do great things together. And I think we are. And he gives us power to be about the activity of the covenant, remembering God's promises, talking about them, sharing them with one another, with our kids, with everyone, calling them to mind in order to act, to live for him in this world, loving others, keeping our own hearts close to him. We have a covenant God, and we are a covenant people. Never forget it. Amen.